back, everybody, to the newest episode of PenPodcast.com. I'm your host, Matthew Harms, founder of Pen for Hire, where we offer premier ghostwriting and author coaching services, and the host of the Pen Podcast, where we sit with writers, authors, writing industry professionals, content creators, subject matter experts, and all around interesting people. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Janine Bolin. How are you today, Janine? Doing great. Looking forward to this. Same here. Thank you so much for uh, joining us from not so sunny Colorado. <laughs> yeah, today it's a little overcast. Yeah, but we'll get there. We'll get back to the sun. Well, until October, November, when you're buried in snow. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, that's like New York. It's like we have second summer, third summer, fake fall. It just, you never know. We like to call it, it's kind of a schizophrenic teenager because at one moment it's absolute ecstasy the sun's out it's 82 degrees give it 30 minutes and it's deep dark depression overcast and snowing <laughs> well you know what i guess that's good to keep you on your toes right. <laughs> totally well i, I want to again thank you for being here today um janine and i met a few weeks back she has been a tremendous resource for for myself for pen for hire so janine if you'd be so kind please tell everyone just a little bit about yourself your background what you're doing these days and um let's see how we can provide some value okay well first of all i've always wanted to help people and so i'm in the perfect arena which is i'm an entrepreneur i started when i was 10 years old because i wanted candy and my parents uh, didn't believe in giving an allowance and you had to work extra extra hard around the house if you wanted to get any kind of money so i started bagging groceries at the ripe old age of 10 and started doing i was basically uber on my bicycle <laughs> either carrying people, products, or services around for others. So it was a small military base. My dad was in the Navy. And so that's how I first got started on the entrepreneurial gig. And I have been a serial entrepreneur ever since, creating businesses, selling them. And then I was always told I didn't write well. See, this is what I find hysterical. I I learned English in three different ways. I learned the Queen's English, I learned the King's English, and then I learned American English. And so when I got to college, I was told, you just don't write very well at all. So nothing was more shocking than in 2005 when my college students, because I was teaching uh, math and science at the time in college, and um, when they actually asked me for my notes. And when are you going to write the textbook on this, Mrs. Bolin? And when are you going to do this, Mrs. Bolin? And I was like, what? You you want me to write? <laughs> I was just absolutely shocked. And ever since 2005, I've been writing ever since. And I'm currently working on book number 12. And I've just negotiated as of yesterday, book number 13. So there we are. Wow. So that's what, 11 books in 17 years? Yes, about about that. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty impressive. I, I want to come back to that in a second. But first, I have a question that I've never actually heard it as the King's English and the Queen's English. What is the <laughs> difference between the two? I've heard I can, one or the other, but never that they're different. It depends on what area of the world you're in. So it's the Queen's English as long as the monarch is female. And it's the King's English as long as the monarch is male. Okay, so just depends on where you are living. I happen to live on a small island called Eleuthera in the Bahamas, and it was called the Queen's English, but there were some very hardened 
old types that also called it the King's English. And there was enough of a lilt and difference in the spelling and all that. So anyone who's ever studied non-American English understands where you start using OU and double Fs in ways that you don't in American English. So that that was the basic difference is just how old the person was that you were dealing with. But it would change. It would change the language a bit. Got it. Yeah, the, the CE instead of the yeah. SE at the it's, end of like defense. Z's or instead of yeah, it's it's yeah. Towards instead of toward. <laughs> right. And don't get me started on just the cultural differences of whether or not you're using a flashlight or a torch. Do they still refer to modern to modern flashlights as a torch in Oh, still to this day in the UK, yes, it's called a torch. And the phone is called the dog and bone. And there's a type of Danish that's called the spotted dick. I kid you not. <laughs> I guess, you know, that as I continue to work with more folks from the UK, I guess these are things I should be aware of. <laughs> there is, I, I think it was Emerson who wrote some nothing like Britain and America separated by a common language. <laughs> It's just enough similar to be very different. <laughs> right. Just close enough to get yourself in trouble. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yep. Because there's a type of dance that you can have out on the beach in North Carolina. And it's called the shag. And it was very popular in the 60s and 70s. And they had shagging contests and all that. And of course, to a Briton or uh, for somebody from the UK, I should say it correctly, somebody from the UK, you know, that means that you're having sex on the beach. <laughs> and so when we had a whole bunch of scientists come over to Glaxo Pharmaceuticals in North Carolina, and they were talking about these shag contests, they were like, man, we knew that these American women <laughs> were progressive but we didn't quite understand how progressive and then and then as the conversation continued everybody was embarrassed at, by the end of it so and in my mind i'm thinking if you go a step further here you know then you say sex on the beach here and it could just be a cocktail yeah, right it could be it just depends on where you're located which was what makes all of this perfect and ripe for any author excellent stories everywhere uh, yeah, absolutely so 11 books in 17 years what I'm assuming the first one was at the behest of your students constantly asking when it's coming. Right. It was the, my master's actually, it was my master's. So you know how people talk about, nobody wants to read your master's thesis. You know, this is going to date me terribly, but please remember we're talking about 2003 to 2005. <laughs> we still had that thing called Kinko's where you could go and have your stuff copied. And I was having to pay $20 a piece to have my ma master's thesis copied because people wanted to read it. And so that's when I started investigating self-publishing because I didn't have the authority to be talking about. It was money. It's not just for rich people. And I had created a 60-40 principle where people could get out of debt on their current income. And because of all that, people were wanting the master's thesis. So people were, to this day, are reading my master's thesis just because I had it written out in very stepwise progression and I could do coaching. And this is all before this. I mean, this is all very commonplace now. But at the time, this was out of the box kind of stuff. And so I couldn't get a publishing company that even look at me because I was a college professor that taught physics and mathematics. What did I know about financial planning and independence? And even though I had statistics on 384 families that were now wealth accumulators in 90 days, so none of that worked. I still got 28 rejections. I gave up on it because my students were like, you know, Mrs. Bullen, we just want you to do this. And so there you go. So 
I'm curious from where you're at today. I know you said you were you were in negotiations for book 12 and 13 or 12 is coming. You're in negotiations for 13. Um, have you self-published all along or was there a shifting point where you moved into a, a different model? I continue to self-publish. The negotiations are publishers who want first crack at the marketing. So that we're in negotiations for, I'm still self-published, still under my label, still under all my intellectual property, but we are negotiating bulk purchases. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com created by Pen for Hire. Thanks to technology, authors are now able to reach their readers in new ways. Letting readers know who you really are, why you wrote the book, and that you welcome their questions and comments goes a long way to building a fan base. Outside of social media, podcasts, radio, television, newspaper, and magazine interviews reach millions of people every day. How can you get featured in more of these media channels? Working with a public relations specialist will open more doors than you ever thought possible. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation today. Now back to the interview. Okay. So uh, these publishers come and find you? Yes, because a lot of the books that I write cater to their authors. So like with the 99 Author Project, which is how you found me, with that book, we are teaching authors how to publish their book after it's been out for six months and the original launch is over, how do you continue to market your book? Because there's a lot of mistakes authors make and we can save them, like I like to share, I can save you seven years and (laughs) $35,000. And all of that information is contained in the book, The 99 Author Project? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's not due out till 2023, because as you know, I'm still interviewing those authors, yeah. Amazing, so if anyone wants the heads up on that, are you offering (laughs) any type of, private one-on-one coaching, group coaching, anything someone can reach out to you and figure out how to save that money now? Yes. I have a coaching program and it is called Readers Repertoire, right? And Revenue. So Readers to Revenue. And uh, that program is what I've been working with. It's a mastermind as well as an online course. So we help them get their media kit put together because a lot of people do not have good quality media kits. And uh, if you want to go to myvirtualbooktour.com, you can get signed up for the media kit course for free. I'll be happy to let your people do that. For you, that would be amazing. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> afterward give me the link. We're gonna post it because I have to say, even as a podcast host who's done over 250 ish episodes, I didn't have my own personal media kit until you and I met, and then I took right. you sent me the free link, and we put one together. So this way, I can actually come on your show because now right. I'm official. Right, you're official, and that's one of the things. Poor Matthew, he was like, <laughs> he comes on I'm like, do you have a media kit? And he goes, I'm a podcast host, and I went, if you don't have a media kit, you don't come on my program. <laughs> right, I'm like, I, I have a one pager on my podcast. I've got a sponsorship deck, but if wait for me personally, me? no, yeah. I've got nothing. You're right. I would love to know a little bit more about Matt Harms before I bring you on. And so, yes, that's the power and also the help 
that a media kit can be. And, and you could talk all day about how much more helpful it is when you have your guest send you their link to a media kit. Then it makes your job so much easier. And that of your team, because I have a team of nine people that help me with pre and post production. I know you have a team because I get different emails from people. You know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because for the for the team, absolutely. For my pre and post production, like that media kit is tremendous for them to be able to do the thumbnails, for them to be able to do the mm -hmm. social media posting and really target keywords, things that are going to attract, hopefully attract the right audience or drive mm -hmm. people to the guest. But I, I'm a bit of a, a weird one when it comes to interviewing. I like to know as little about my guest as possible. So it doesn't steer me. I don't like to have pre-thought questions, right? I never want to go into something thinking that it's something else. Like I, I want the conversation to unfold. So I personally very rarely look at the media kits that come in. My team takes care of them. Fabulous. Yeah. But that is the style of your show. Just like you would never ask two authors to write the same. You may ask them to have a template that they'll use, but you would never ask two authors to write the same way. That's not the fun of it. The fun of it is being able to create in your own style. You hit it on the head. I, I've mm. actually had guests who re refuse to come on the show because I wouldn't give them a set of pre-listed questions. Pre-interview questions. Like, if I don't know what you're going to ask, I'm not coming. I was like, well, then sounds like you're no fun. I don't want you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're that highly structured, then I recommend that you seek out podcasters who are equally as highly structured. There are some that are very, very structured where I was not a good fit for their show because I'm like you, Matt. I have been in radio since 1982 when I was hosting on my high school program, KDFN, KOEFM, serving the current River Valley with information and entertainment, right? And so it's like, I've been on radio for so long. It's so much more fun to do it this way, to have an interview where it unfolds and we can ask questions. And at the same time, I feel like it gives more value to the people who are listening because they're, they're seeing and hearing somebody who's being real and authentic, and you're not coming off of a script. That's more for like, when you have a real time crunch, like Emeril Agassi even talks about in his cooking, when he was doing his shows, he really didn't like it because he had to come from a script. But when he started doing Emeril Agassi live and he had the studio audience, he was more himself. He could be more authentic. He wasn't stressing because he had to stay to a script. I find the same thing. Yeah, that's a great example too, because if you've ever watched the cooking shows where they're so scripted, it's like, wait a second, how do we go from like, all these raw ingredients, everything's chopped up in bowls, it's portioned, like you went so quick that you kind of lose that connection. Mm -hmm. And in a show like mine, it's really, I don't care how, if you're, I mean, obviously best-selling authors are great for clout, but I don't care if you sold a million books, a thousand books, I want people to help the audience, right? How were you able to do that? What, what did you learn along the way? What went well? What are you still doing? What wouldn't you do again? Um, and really, express that in a way where you're not prepared to talk about your biggest defeat or your biggest success. Like I want it to come naturally. Right. Exactly. And that's a lot more fun. And I hope is a lot more value to the people who are listening. I'm always uh, one of the very first questions I asked Matt when I first came on was how can we best serve your community? Because it's really, that's what it comes down to is the people who are listening, there is something they are seeking or something that they are in need of. And I want to make sure we give that, but we cater to that. With that said, I want to go back to your books for a minute. So we've got 11 books. I know we know one was the thesis um, on how people can go from in debt to, to accumulating. We have the 99 author project. Mm -hmm. 
give me some insight. You don't have to go through all of them, but what are some of your other books about? Like, is there any common theme? Are they all like geared toward helping people across different <laughs> industries? Yeah. It sounds like 99 Author Project definitely relates to the saving money theme as well. Well, the, I think the theme throughout it all is practical tips and the author's Janine Bolan. <laughs> I have four different genres I write in. The first one is money. And I've done that for over 30 years. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of done with that one. And I actually seek out other authors of financial principles to that are more millennial based to cater and talk to the changes that have happened in the financial industry and that sort of thing. Because whoever thought that you could, in my day, the fact that I can take a phone and I can actually take a picture of a check that's on my desk and it is automatically deposited into my bank account is something right out of Star Trek. Because you might as well give me a teleporter and say, beam me up, Scotty, that my bank would say, that's okay. You can just use a picture. No problem. Deposit. Done. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because of the banking industry, how it was as I was moving through it. So here I am in my late 50s in awe. So I, I think that a lot of people, the principles are still the same. But financially speaking, I'm asking people to help people navigate the technology and the way it's changed for the banking industry and just the way we do things. Okay. So that's one, one area. The other area is I help business owners. I wrote a book called the thriving solopreneur, and it was really dedicated to all those people who lost their jobs. When we had COVID, it was a COVID book. I, I think I published it six months after COVID hit. And that was because there were so many people that were trying to do multi-level marketing, relationship marketing. They didn't know how to do things online. They didn't know how to make connections with people. And so that's where the thriving solopreneur came from. And then we have the third genre, which is in spirituality. And that is where I was struck by lightning when I was on that little island in Eleuthera in the Bahamas and I had Native Americans find me when I turned about 42 and I was initiated into 16 different tribes and I'm a shaman, a psychic, a medium, whatever you want to call it, sacred clown. And, uh, and because of all of that spirituality, that was kind of the woo-woo side that I kept hidden because I was a businesswoman, right? <laughs> and so there's a, a trilogy written called the divine series and you can look at that and i think the one that really is nearest and dearest to my heart is the 99 authors i am now starting to write for authors because so many people are publishing their stories and so many people actually have a very important message that needs to get out there as i say to authors if you are driven to write this book and you got it published then there's somebody out there that desperately needs to read it you know otherwise you would never have had you know, what was that driving force? What was it that got you through all those demons that you had to walk through <laughs> in order to get that book into the hands of somebody who would actually read it? Yeah. That is a recurring conversation I have with every client, whether we work with them or not, prospect client, like no one can convince you to write a book. No, mm -hmm. no one can sell you on writing a book. But if you I do believe everyone has a story in them. And if right. you find it within yourself to either make the time or financial or possibly both, depending how you structure it, commitment, mm -hmm. there is someone and probably plenty of someones who can benefit from hearing that message. Right. They're actually praying for it. Yeah, forgive yes. me. I didn't mean to cut you off. I no. apologize. But no, it was just one of those things where it, they're actually seeking it out. I can't tell you how many times I've written to an author and said, 
I remember two years ago when I was seeking this information and I couldn't find it and here it is in your book. And they were like, oh, that's when I decided to really get on it and start writing. So I think if you believe in that collective consciousness that we know about here on this planet we call Earth, that there are readers. If you're being like you're moving closer and closer to, I really need to get this book out. There's a reason why people are seeking that information. 100%. And there's this belief that for whatever reason, our own limiting beliefs and doubt that my message isn't important or someone's already given my message. And in many ways, that's true. Like you could have written about a topic I wrote about, but that's irrelevant. What's relevant is the people that are going to connect with you might not connect with me. The people are going to connect with somebody else might not connect with either one of us. So it doesn't matter how many times someone has written a book about how to manage your money, how to lose weight, how to be more spiritual. You could read 14 books and it's not until the 15th on the same topic where you go, oh my God, I get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. And that's, that's the beauty of it. That's why I encourage authors that are like, there's already so many books out there and you have all these statistics of how many books are published and, you know, what am I going to add? I'm going to, you're going to add your own perspective and that's got some pop, believe it or not. Yeah. It goes back to the authenticity too. People Mm -hmm. are going to relate to you. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Writing, I mean, between you get to create things that aren't there. I also dabble in fiction. We coach fiction authors. So that's kind oh. of another complete side of it. But on the on the personal development and business nonfiction, you're still creating. You're creating mm-hmm. a roadmap. You're creating kind of a hand-holding experience to get someone from where they're at to where they want to be. Yeah. We hope so. We want them to get there. Yeah. Well, yes. The best book in the world can't hit someone in the head and make them do something, but... <laughs> Hopefully through your compelling narrative, you're (laughs) able to get their attention. I want to jump back to the the getting struck by lightning. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Was that the reason you were initiated into those 16 tribes? Yes. Yes. There is a understanding or a paradigm, if you will. And it comes from the Lakota tradition. That was where I was first initiated was into the Lakota and I, now remember, see, I'm not Native American, so it's not it's not cultural appropriation. I've been accused of cultural appropriation, and I was like, no, I was minding my own business. These people sought me out, okay? So I wanted to clarify that because of the way our country is right now. But I was approached by shamans and Native Americans of the Lakota tradition, and I was initiated according to what they call the Hayoka. Now, Hayoka is a term that has been appropriated and there's a lot of different uses for it. And I'm that's not my job to say what's right or what's wrong. But I went on a vision quest and I had a word used in that vision quest said Hayoka. And I was so unfamiliar with the word that my spiritual guides actually had to do pictograms. Like they showed me a haystack. They showed me a big letter O. They showed me a crow going ka. And so I called it heoka because I did not know how to pronounce this word that had come through in my vision quest. <laughs> and that's when I learned that there was a Lakota term called heoka. Now I'm sure there's other Heoka has been used by other tribes, but that's just my understanding. And because I am not a member of any of those tribes, I cannot speak to that. So anyway, but that was my experience. I got struck by lightning. It was because of that. I actually had a Native American ask me, have you been struck by lightning? I said, yes. And I was quickly moved to a group that people that were called clowns. And those clowns then trained me and initiated me according to that tradition. 
Wow. What made them ask you if you had been struck by lightning? Was it just an energy you were giving off? Uh, there was a conversation and they had heard about me from other members of their tribe. And they were like, you really need to go talk to this lady. And at the time I had been training under a Hindu guru. So, okay. My father was in the military. I was raised in Japan during my elementary school years. I was raised on this Island during my middle school years in the Bahamas. And then he decided to retire to Southern Missouri. So I had a very eclectic spiritual upbringing because I had Shaolin monks that taught me at temple when I was in Sasebo, Japan. Then I had voodoo priestesses as well as Roman Catholic priests training me when I was in the Bahamas. And then when I went to Southern Missouri, it's in smack in the middle of the Christian Bible belt. And that was an experience in of itself. So I had that eclectic background. And so these people were like, you really need to chat with Janine. And so I was referred, I guess is the best way, by these other tribal members that they needed to meet with me. They sat with me in ceremony in my house for a couple of days, and it became evident that there was a connection there that I did not understand and started uh, learning their process. Wow, that, that is incredible. <laughs> And I wrote three books on it because it is an extensive story with a lot of experiences. And so that's where Seeking the Divine, Finding the Divine, and Expressing the Divine, that trilogy, that's where that comes from. That's three of my books. Yeah, I would imagine we barely scratched the surface <laughs> of that entire experience. Well, it's basically an amalgamation of over 30 years of spiritual experiences and having experiences with multiple different spiritual people. So like religion. So like I had the Shaolin Buddhist experiences. I had experiences with the Hindus. I had experiences with different tribes because each nation, each first nation has their own way of doing things. I went to the Native American, Native American Indian Museum in Washington, DC. I always have to try to figure out how they, how they worded it. And I was seeking the medicine wheel because I was given a medicine wheel in uh, my vision quest and I couldn't find it. But I found 42 other medicine wheels from all these other tribes from all over North America. And then if you go to South America, they have kivas and they have their own sorts of circular ceremonies that they do. So, yeah, when you do that much research over a 30 year period of time, you kind of gather a bit of knowledge. I mean, I would also imagine you're in a pretty exclusive club, one, as someone who was struck by lightning and survived, and two, as a non-Native American who's been in, allowed into so many different communities. Right. And, and what was amazing was I always was invited in. I never like showed up and just said, Hey, take, you know, this is, this is who I am. This is what I do. That, that wasn't it. I was always invited in. And usually I got kicked out and I would get kicked out by the traditionalists because they were like, we've never heard of such a thing. Out you go. But I was having visions and I was experiencing things according to the grandmothers and grandfathers as each paradigm has set up. So it's not a, it's not a monotheistic sort of faith. It is, multiple multiple godheads and each has its own job and its purpose and it changes depending upon what nation you're in and then it's very specific then to what tribe each tribe has their own but that's going beyond my education i can't speak any further to that it's just my experiences got it i love it thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by pen for hire 
Have you always wanted to write a book, but just can't seem to find the time? Do you have an amazing story to tell, but don't enjoy writing? At Pen for Hire, we specialize in extracting the words from your head and turning them into compelling written content. And we do it in your voice. So not only does the story get told, but no one will ever know you didn't do the writing. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to find out more today. And now back to the interview. So I'm curious, maybe because we're coming up on time, I, I'd love to take everything we just said and try to turn that into maybe one or two poignant takeaways. Because for me, you've got going on 13 books in the next year or two. Um, you are radio host. You got a podcast. You, you're doing so many different things, yeah. as are most of us these days. But most of us struggle to even write one book, a half a book. A newsletter, right? a blog. So what would you tell the aspiring writer out there who's struggling with maybe everything they're doing, their job, their life, their family? How, what advice can you give them on how they can get to the finish line? Know what you want. People talk all the time about how I do so much. And they're like, how do you do it all? And how does it all happen? Because the reason why I write a book a year now, the reason I didn't before was because I had four children. I was homeschooling because I was a single mom. And so they're like, oh my God, how did you, how do you do it all? It's like, I'm very crystal clear on what I want out of life. I know exactly what I want my life to look like. I know exactly where I want to go. I know I have clarity on that. And so once you have that laser focus, then don't let anything stand in your way. And I know that sounds so cliche and I can give you a whole bunch of cliches, but it really comes down to, are you going to write the bloody book or not? Sit your butt in the chair. All right. And I'll be that mom for you. I'll be happy to be that mom for you. Sit your butt in the chair and start writing. I had the fortunate experience of being able to be in Stephen King's presence. He, he visited the university of Missouri at Columbia and I think it was 1985, 86, it may be off a year or two. And I remember he showed up and I don't know how much money they paid him to be the guest speaker at this event, but he showed up and he goes, uh, so you guys are here to learn how to write. He's like, okay, why are you doing here? Why don't you get out and write? So me and four other people stood up and got ready to walk out of the room. And, <laughs> and then he called those people back up to the front, turned his back to the audience sat us in chairs and said, so what can I do to help you? Because we took his advice. We stood up and we left. We thought, all right, we'll go right. That's the commitment level. That's what he was trying to get across. I mean, he ended up talking a little bit more, but, but the biggest thing was he really wanted to make that point. He's quirky enough <laughs> and he was popular enough back then he could get away with that. But that really is the point. Get, just sit your butt in the chair. And even if all you write that day is these words are a promise, even if that's all you write, because that's all you have time for, because your three kids are driving you nuts and the dog needs to be taken to the vet and, you know, all the things that life is happening, just write down, these words are a promise. You're going to get back to it. And you're going to sit your butt in the chair again the next day, because you have to remember, you have to have a schedule. If you don't sit down and write every day or write every other day, or if you don't have a schedule for it, then it won't get done. And you know that. The muse needs to know when to meet you. If you don't make an appointment, how is she ever going to know when to meet you? 
I love the way you put that because you just so much more poetically put the exact same thing I tell my coaching clients. <laughs> right. Is, you know, don't set any ridiculous goals. Like I'm going to write mm. 500 words to five, what, what, four pages. No, no, no. Go to your calendar and block off at least three times this week. At times, you know, you're not going to be interrupted, right? So if you've got six kids running around and they don't mm. get up till seven, schedule yourself at 6 a.m. If everyone's in bed by nine, schedule yourself at 930. And I don't care if you sit in front of the computer all three times and don't write a word. You kept the you kept the appointment, right? And because the news, because you made yeah, the news knows where to go. Yeah, and and that's it. Every writer will tell you there are times it's total garbage and dog crap that I am writing, and I'm like nobody is ever going to read this. This is the worst stuff that's ever been written. You know, it's not even English. appropriate. Yeah, it's not even appropriate for anything. You know, all these horrible thoughts going through my head. To this day, I still have all that. The thing is, is it goes by a lot quicker. I don't let it sit and take up too much of my head trash. Absolutely. I guarantee you even best-selling, internationally renowned authors have moments of self-doubt. Like, is yeah. this one really going to be as good as they get past it and they put it out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just put it out there. So sit your butt in the chair and type, even if it's drivel. I love it. Janine, please, where can people find out more about you, your podcast, your 99 author project, anything at all for people who want to get in touch with you? If you want to get in touch with me, the best place really to go is LinkedIn. So just type Janine Bolin in there and I will pop up with the White Glove Broadcasting is the company that I run. And reach out to me and then a wonderful team member by the name of Lynette will start messaging you. And that's the best way to get a hold of me right now. Cause we are finishing up season five, moving on to season six. And I, I don't have time on my calendar right now. So we'll find a way to set you up that way. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. It's yeah. really been my pleasure. Every time we speak, I feel like I just learn more and more. <laughs> motivational, inspirational for everyone listening. Um, you've just spent this time with Matt Harms and Janine Bolin. Definitely find Janine on LinkedIn. At the bare minimum, take advantage of the press kit, uh, the media kit offer. It really took my presence to the next level. I'm sure it'll do the same for you. We always appreciate you tuning in, supporting our guests, and we'll catch you all in the next episode. Janine, thank you again so much. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, my you guys. Pleasure.